Today's sermon comes from John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If you had to point to the most important part of the Christian life, what would it be? If you, had to, if you had to single out the most important part of the Christian life, what would it be? Would it be attending church? Maybe being involved in a small group or a community group? Participating in a Bible study? going on a mission trip, serving in a, maybe a soup kitchen or a local mission in the city, tithing to the church, giving generously to charity, what would be the most important part that you would identify? Now, all those that I just talked about are good and right and necessary, but they're not the most important. Because of all of those are downstream of that which is most important, which is abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Now, what do we mean by that? What does it mean to abide in Christ? How do we abide in Christ? To answer these questions, we're going to look at the foundation of abiding. We're going to look at the power to abide, the way of abiding, and then finally the fruit of abiding. Let's start with the foundation of abiding. This passage and this picture of the vine and the branches is not just a clever illustration from gardening. It's rooted in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament where Israel was called the vine. In fact, Psalm 80 speaks of this. Psalm 80 verses eight and nine says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. 
And God's saying that he, he brought a vine out of Egypt. He brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, planted them in the promised land with the purpose of spreading his love and his glory ac across his world that had been broken by sin. Now, verses 12 and 13 of Psalm 80 go on to say that, that the vineyard of Israel was ravaged. Isaiah 5 says it bore wild grapes, meaning it didn't, it didn't bear fruit. It didn't do what it was intended to do. That Israel failed in its calling to be a blessing to the world, a, a blessing in, a, in a, 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 a nation that was going to spread and renew the face of the earth. They failed. And so Jesus is saying here in John 15, in light of that context, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel. In fact, Psalm 80 goes on to say, in verses 14 to 17, turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you have made strong for yourself. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, speaking of Jesus Christ to come, whom you have made strong for yourself. That was all pointing to the coming of the true vine, of Jesus Christ as the vine, the, new, the true Israel, upon which all of God's purposes and mission is now resting. I have a friend who uh, ended up replacing his entire yard. He moved from St. Augustine grass to zoysia grass. And the reason he did that is because St. Augustine, his St. Augustine was being just ravaged by weeds and by disease. The crabgrass was growing out of control, the, the chinch bugs, the brown patch, it was just taking over. And this was in, in the midst of a company that was coming to spray it, to fertilize it against disease. And so he planted zoysia. Here's why. Zoysia grows at this aggressive rate horizontally through stolons, and it, and it, and it grows so rapidly and it gets so thick that it just chokes out weeds. And, and zoysia itself is in, immune to disease and, to, um, and to, to sickness. And so you can take a plug of zoysia and plant it in the middle of a yard that's got weeds and various stuff, and it will, it will spread and it will thicken and it will choke out the weeds. When Jesus says on the true vine, what he's saying is this, Jesus Christ was planted in the middle of a world and a people, Israel who had become infected by the disease of sin that had spread over the world. And God said, I'm going to plant my son, right, as a vine who is going to spread, who's going to fill this world with his glory and his goodness. And so Jesus, when he says on the true vine, it's loaded with that meaning of who he is. And Jesus says, now I'm going to, I'm going to draw people to myself so that they attach to me can spread and fill the world and spread God's goodness. So how do you abide in Christ? It starts with the foundation. And the foundation is Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 10, it says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus says, first and foremost, I'm abiding in my Father. I abide in my Father. That's where abiding begins. So before we talk about how you abide in Christ, the foundation is 
that we're attached to Jesus Christ who abides perfectly in his Father. And that's where it begins. Why is it so important to start there? Because you don't build a house on shifting sand. Right? You build a house on a sure and a sound foundation. And Jesus Christ is the foundation, the vine that has been planted. And it's from there that it will spread. But it's the vine of Jesus that's been planted. And that's the foundation out of everything else flows, including the second point, how do you abide in Christ? So you've got the foundation of Jesus. Second, let's talk about the power to abide. Where's the power to abide in Christ? Verse five, look at what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, we learn two very important truths about the power to abide through this imagery of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. The first truth is this, is that life is in the vine. A branch does not have life in itself. That life is in the vine. That life flows through the vine into the branches. Verse four, abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus makes it clear that there is no bearing fruit apart from abiding in him, that a branch cannot bear fruit on its own. Jesus is speaking here of internal growth, of organic growth, of, of, of the life of Jesus pulsing through those who abide in him. You can't grow by just mimicking or copying Christian behavior. You can try. But what's being described here is not just a mimicking of Christian behavior. What's described here is, yeah, sure, the behavior flows, but it's describing this, this pulsing life that flows from within, from Jesus, into the branches, into you and me. I want you to imagine you've got a fruit tree in your backyard, and it's a fruit tree that's not growing fast enough, according to your standards, and it doesn't have enough fruit on it. And so you look over into your neighbor's yard, and you see this fruit tree, same kind of fruit tree, that is twice the size, and it's got twice the fruit, and you say, I got a grand idea, right? So you take your saw when they're obviously out, doing errands. You take your saw, you walk over, and you cut off a bunch of the branches. And you come back to your backyard, and you get your duct tape, a lot of it, and you start taping these branches on the end of your branches. And you get it all covered with these new branches, and you stand back and you go, wow, what an amazing fruit tree. And then two weeks later, you go, why is it all dying? I was never connected to the tree. It's not connected. Let me press the point further. I brought in a branch this morning from my backyard. Now, I want you to imagine that we gather this entire room. It's a room full of smart people. We've got teachers and engineers and doctors and, 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 and all kinds of vocations. We all get around the table. We put this branch in the middle and we start strategizing and planning. Let, let me just ratchet it up a, a little bit farther. Assume that half of this room 
has a major in horticulture. Half of this room is, uh, uh, runs vineyards and, and is uh, running plant and tree nurseries, okay? And we all sit around and we strategize and we say, how are we gonna get this branch to produce fruit? And we work hard. Is this branch ever gonna produce fruit? No, but it says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try really hard. <laughs> no, this branch's days are numbered. Why? It's, it's not connected. Listen, here's what we do in the Christian life. You may look over your shoulder. You may look next door. You may even in this church, you may look at someone and say, I so admire how they live their life. You may look and say, I, I mean, they, the fruit that they have, they love sacrificially. They, they, they pray, they're in the word. This amazing Christian life. And you say, I want that life. And so you, you go try and copy it. Here's the problem. The reason you see that in them is not because they're trying really hard to do that. The reason is that they're probably abiding in Christ. And the point that Jesus is making here is that you can't mimic or copy Christian behavior or the behaviors that God calls you to have. It comes from being deeply abiding and deeply connected to Jesus. And that when you're connected to Jesus, and we're gonna get at what that looks like, but when you're connected to Christ, when you're abiding in him, Jesus says his life flows through you and produces all the fruit that you might admire in someone else. So yeah, there's place for emulation. There's place for looking at a life and how it's lived but you can't mimic it. It comes from abiding deeply in Jesus Christ. So that's the first truth about the power to abide is that life is in the vine. It is not in the branch itself. It's in the vine of Jesus Christ pulsing through you. Second truth about the power to abide is that the father is the vine dresser. Verse one, Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser. Verses two to three, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, the word clean and the word prunes comes from the same root word. Prunes is a verb, clean is an adjective. They come from the same root word. So it could read this. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes Already you are pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. In other words, God prunes at conversion and he continues to prune as you're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, if any of you have taken care of a rose bush, you've got a great picture of this. And for, the, for those of you that haven't, which probably is a majority of you, uh, it's an easy one to follow. Okay? A rose bush left to itself will get straggly. It will grow in on itself in such a way that it produces a bunch of not so nice roses rather than, than, than beautiful, vibrant roses. It actually just, it starts growing in on itself. It gets in its own light. And for a rose bush to actually flourish, it has to be pruned. Those, those branches that are growing in on itself and getting scraggly have to be cut away. 
And then those branches that are actually heading outward towards the light need to be clipped and pruned so they continue to do so. That's the picture of pruning. That a life, your life, a, a branch not connected, okay, will eventually grow in on itself. And you experience this. Will grow in on itself and get tangled and become a self-centered, unproductive mess. And so the father's the vine dresser, which means he cuts so that these branches, our branches can go outward and flow outward towards him, towards the light. I love how uh, N.T. Wright says it about this concept of pruning where God, because if you understand pruning as cutting away, it's never easy. It's never comfortable. It always hurts when God cuts away those ambitions and those goals that are inward focused. He cuts those away so that the ambitions and goals can be outward focused. N.T. Wright says it this way, the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you, that's the initial pruning, will carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's the ongoing pruning and the cutting that God does. And when you think about a rose bush, all the trimming and the cutting of those, those branches that get tangled and, and, and moving within, all of that pruning is so that the rose bush would, would, would be its true self. And that's what God is doing when he prunes you, is he's pruning you so that you can become your true self, who he really created you to be in his image. So how do you abide in Christ? We've looked at the foundation. We've looked at the power to abide. And I want you to notice so far, we haven't even gotten to your responsibility yet. The foundation is Jesus the life that flows from the vine into the branches. That's Jesus' life pulsing through the branch. The Father is vine dresser. That's the work God does. What then is our responsibility to abide? What's our response of how we're to abide? I believe in this passage, there's, there's two clear ways of abiding in this passage. The first one is subtle, but it's critical. And that is, every time you see in this passage, you abide in me, or if you abide in me, that you is plural. Now, that's a difficulty in the English language, because in the English language, you singular and you plural are the same word. Now, we get around this, and the way we get around it depends on where you live. In the South, we make you plural by saying, y'all. Y'all know it already. If you live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I spent four years for college, we got some Pittsburgh people, yins, right? Jesus is saying here, if y'all abide in me, if yins abide in me. And the point is this, that one of the ways we're called to respond and abide in Christ is through community, through relationships. That that's how we abide. 
that we abide through community. There is no such thing as abiding as a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. That is not how you abide in Christ. Have you ever experienced this? You ever noticed how life can seem to run so much smoother when you're on your own? Give you a scenario. So your spouse and kids go away, maybe to visit family for an extended weekend and you stay back. And you've got the whole weekend to yourself. You can stay up as late as you want. You can watch whatever you want on the TV. You can eat whatever you want as much as you want. You can sleep in. You can engage in that hobby that you've wanted to engage in for years and you can do it as much as you want. And you say, wow, no arguments this weekend, no fights. Life went so smoothly, why? Because you were allowed to be selfish, that's why. I'll use the rosebush analogy. You were allowed to grow in on yourself and you didn't even notice it. See, God uses community and he calls us to engage in community because that's how you abide in Christ and that's how he does his pruning. It's one of the ways he does his pruning. God prunes through marriage. Amen? God prunes through raising children. Amen? God prunes through relationships. God prunes through roommates. Amen. I've got head nods from the college students. God prunes through community. And that the way that we abide in Christ is through community. And so that, is the, that means this, that you plant yourself in community and fight this tendency that says, I just want to be a solitary Christian. So that means you plant yourself in your marriage. You plant yourself as a father, as a mother, and your children. You plant yourself in your community group. You plant yourself in your Bible study. You plant yourself in relationships, knowing that that's how you abide in Christ, that it's a communal process. The second way of abiding that we see in this passage is word and prayer. Look at verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then verse 16, the last part of verse 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Wow. What an amazing promise. If that's true, I know what I'm gonna pray for. New car, new house, win the lottery. I got a litany of self-centered prayers that I can pray in that promise. What's the content of the prayer that Jesus is talking about here? What's the ask that Jesus is talking about here? Well, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, meaning 
Jesus is saying, if my word abides in you, then go ahead and ask whatever you wish. Because guess what? When the word abides in you, it's going to change the way you pray. You ever notice that? When you're, when you're disconnected from the word of God and you're praying, I'll tell you what my life's like. My prayers tend to get very self-centered, very circumstantial, very situational. But when I'm abiding in the word of God and I'm in a season where the word is in me, my prayers change a lot because my prayers start to reflect Jesus' word in me. And so Jesus says, if you abide in me, my word's in you, yes, go ahead, ask whatever you wish because you're gonna begin asking things that are according to my will and not your will. Notice also verse eight, what's the content of the prayer? Verse eight, he says, in verse seven, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Then verse eight, by this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit. So it's prayers for fruit. That's the content of the prayers. It's prayers for fruit, and fruit is the result of effective prayer. Now you say, what is the fruit? We're gonna get to that. But the point is this, is that you pray for fruit, and that fruit is the product of effective prayer. It's my hope, it's our hope, Ed prayed it this morning in the pastoral prayer that this church, elders and, and, and leaders and people and this entire body would become a people of prayer, both in our individual lives, our family lives, and in, and in our church lives. That prayer, that asking the Father would become a reflex. You know what a reflex is. Go to the doctor. He pulls out the rubber mallet, hits your knee, and assuming you're healthy, right? Your knee kicks, your leg kicks. You don't try to kick your leg, you don't, it's just a reflex. That's our prayer, that, that prayer would become a, a reflex. That we, we would pray before we go try to figure something out as a family or as, as a, a community group or as a church. And then after we pray, yeah, we do do the work of figuring it out. It's not either or. But that we would be a people of prayer. That prayer would be the expression of our deep abiding in Christ. That as we abide in him and abide in his word, we realize how dependent we are and how much in our dependence we take everything to him in prayer. Everything and that it becomes a reflex. So what do you pray for? What's the fruit? And that brings us to our last point. What's the fruit of abiding in Christ? Now let me, before we get into this, because we know how this works, we're gonna start talking about fruit here, but let me pull this branch back out. What we're not talking about here in these threefold ways of, of seeing fruit is not trying harder to make a disconnected branch produce fruit, <laughs> right? This is not gonna be a switch now to where we go, okay, how are we gonna tape some fruit on this branch? No, what we're about to describe is what flows out of deeply abiding in Christ. That if we're abiding in Christ, 
If we're connected to him, if we're drinking deeply of him, this is what's gonna happen. This is the fruit. And there's, there's threefold fruit in this passage. Experience of Jesus' joy, love for one another, and mission to the world. First, look at verse 11. Experience of Jesus' joy. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus says, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus says one of the fruit of abiding in him is that his joy becomes yours. Now, what is his joy? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 speaks of it. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was that joy? It was the joy of the salvation of his people, you and me, of winning you and me back from the, the, the hold of sin and death. Jesus' joy was wrapped up in the joy of others, you and me. That's consistent with the, the before he created the world and the Trinity. The Trinity, three persons, each honoring and glorifying the other, other-centered joy. So when Jesus says, my joy will be in you, it will be a joy that gets wrapped up in the joy of others and the happiness of others. That's fruit, the experience of Jesus' joy. Second, love for one another. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 17, these things I command you so that. What's the so that of all of this? What's the fruit? So that you will love one another. Jesus displayed supreme love in laying down his life for you. And when you abide in him, he says, now you will lay your life down for others. You will expend for others at cost to self. Right? That's the definition of love. Seeking the good of another person at cost to yourself. And Jesus says, when you abide in me, you will do that. Because why? Because my life, Jesus' love, which is other-centered, will flow into you and through you. And then the last, the last fruit. So you've got experience in Jesus' joy, which comes from loving one another at cost to yourself for the purpose of, and here's the third one, mission to the world. Look at verse 16. Now remember, Jesus is speaking this to his disciples. He's about to die. He's about to leave them. And so this is him kind of giving his marching orders to them. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Now, the word appointed in verse 16 is the same word that shows up in verse 13 for lay down, when it says lay down life for a friend. So appointed in verse 16 and lay down in verse 13 are the same word, which means in verse 16, it could read, you did not choose me, but I chose you and set you apart to be laid down so that you go and bear fruit. In the same way that, so Jesus laid down his life for his friends to cross over from death to life. Jesus says, now I'm gonna choose you and appoint you, set you apart to be laid down so that others can cross over from death to life. This is speaking of the fruit of new converts. It's speaking of evangelism. It's speaking of mission. 
It's speaking of the fruit of when you're abiding in Christ and you begin and you lay your life down because the life of Jesus is flowing through you and that's his life, that there's gonna be fruit of mission and evangelism and people coming to know Christ and people responding to the good news. I love how one author puts it. He says this, this is why the union of love that joins believers with Jesus can never become a comfortable, exclusive huddle that only they can share. It is a union that seeks to bring others into its orbit. Said really well. It's a union of love that is always seeking to bring others into its orbit. So that's the fruit of abiding in Christ. That when you remain in community, and not run into solitary Christianity, but you remain in community. When you remain a person committed to the word and to prayer and to worship in your private, personal life, also in your corporate life, that when you do that, because those are the ways of abiding, that you will see Jesus' joy, Jesus' love, and Jesus' mission working through you. Why? Because that's the life of Christ. And when you abide in Christ, his life pulses through you. His joy, his love, his mission. That that's how it works. And what this speaks to is a life that has an outward trajectory. This is speaking of a life that has an outward trajectory. That's why the, the, the illustration of the rose bush, bush is so beautiful is because it speaks of the tendency of a rose bush to grow inward and get tangled inward and it needs to be pruned, right? And that's what God's doing with our lives. He wants our lives to be on an outward trajectory. And so he prunes so that that happens, right? All that he would be glorified. In January of 2008, a 15-year-old girl in Australia, her name was Demi Lee Brennan. She became the first, the world's first known transplant patient. She had a liver transplant whose blood turned from O negative to O positive. Now, for many of us who are not doctors, we yawn at that. That's impossible. <laughs> it's a big deal, which is why when it happened in 2008, the doctors were scratching their heads and trying to figure out what happened because that just doesn't happen. Well, it did with her. She became a miracle child. What happened is this new liver she got, the blood stem cells from that liver started to penetrate her bone marrow and literally took over her immune system so that her immune system took on the immune system of the donor. That her blood, the kind of blood she had, literally changed. That she had, she, she, she got blood that, that welcomed life rather than fighting against that liver and, and potentially bringing death. Her blood changed and she received life through it. When you abide in Christ, Jesus' lifeblood flows into you, flows through you, pulses through you so that his very life is manifested through you his life of love, his life of joy, his life of mission. And let me end by saying this. So if you have fallen asleep until this point, wake up. 
You can't mimic this. You can't copy it. You can't say, there's his joy, I'm gonna go try to find it. There's his love, I'm gonna try to love people. There's his mission, I'm gonna go share with people. You can't mimic this. You can't copy it, you can only receive it. That's the vine and the branches. You can only receive this from Jesus the vine. And to receive it, you have to abide in him deeply and drink deeply from him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would all walk away from hearing your word this morning, not longing to try harder, but longing to abide deeper. That we wouldn't walk away saying, I've really got to try hard to get this fruit in my life. That we would walk away saying, I long to abide deeper in Jesus. I long to drink from him. To drink deeply from him. And that when I do, this fruit will naturally flow. Father, I pray for those here that maybe have never have never received life from the vine of Jesus. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring them to a place where they see there is no life apart from Jesus. And that they would say yes and gladly receive you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. Father, as a people who are so prone to copy and to mimic and to try harder, would you bring us to a place of abiding deeply in you, Jesus, in your word, in prayer, in community, and that we would see our lives transform, not because we're doing it, but because your life, Jesus, is flowing through us. And Father, as we close in worship now, would we sing as a people who are redeemed, as a people who long to abide, and as a people with open hands and open arms, welcome the life of Jesus and welcome the pulsing lifeblood of Jesus into our own very lives and through our lives to others. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.